0: Welcome to the C3Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. Thank you for your wonderful, warm welcome. And welcome to um, all the congregations who are joining us and connecting with us. Um, and all of you who are watching from um, prisons right across um, the UK. Thanks especially for this opportunity to contribute to this series on Romans, particularly since I get to contribute by speaking about Romans uh, chapter 8, which is uh, an incredibly important theme of hope. I like the fact that um, Andrew Ollerton um, has described Romans chapter 8 as the summit of hope. Because I recently gained a whole new appreciation and respect for the view from a summit. I was um, in Sri Lanka a couple of weeks ago uh, trying to get some vitamin D that didn't come out of a capsule and also trying to get my natural color back. And our guide told us we'd be visiting this UNESCO's World Heritage Site called the Lion Rock Sigiriya. And some of you may have heard of it, or even been there yourself. Um, but when we arrived, he broke the news um, that we'd be climbing this thing now, he meant walking, but it, all was, it was all the same to me, to be frank. Um, and I suddenly realized that I'm a seagull because the thing that went through my mind was, isn't there a lift? <laughs> One thousand, two hundred, and two terrifying steps later, I ended up here. Our guide, on the other hand, got all kind of red-faced, panty, about a third of the way up and said, we should go on without him. (laughs) And I said, look, I'm happy to stay with you. Um, You know, I'm a concerned citizen in the interests of, but my friends looked at me sideways and I knew what that meant. I was not staying there. I was having to go up um, the rest of the way. So I carried on that climb was the hardest work I've done in a long time. And I was genuinely terrified. But as you can see, it was totally worth the grief, the tears, and the tantrums. Not mine, by the way. It's my friend. Okay. Because it would have been impossible to have the perspective that being at the summit allowed me. There was nowhere else on that walk you were gonna to get to see this in that way. The perspective from the summit, a new appreciation for the summit. Now, when I got back last week, something else happened that gave me a new appreciation for hope. I was uh, running through my emails, playing catch up, I came across a reply to an email that I would sent to one of my coaches, one of my mentees, um, early in January and it, uh, her response had just come. I'd nearly forgotten that I'd sent her anything. But as I read her reply, it all came back to me. From time to time, I find that what happens to me is a person's name pops up in my thoughts and invades my prayers, uninvited, with a bit of force and a lot of persistence, and interrupts my flow. And it's happened enough now that I have learned that what seems to be an interruption to my prayers is actually the Holy Spirit telling me this is what you should be actually be praying about you're now in God's flow and I found myself in God's flow for this person so I don't resist these moments any longer or try to get the person out of my head or or try and plow on with my own agenda at that point I stop what I'm doing I pause to pray whatever comes to my mind for that person and I trust that God will fill in the gaps and we need to be that responsive to God So I had written to her with these words, just letting you know that you've been especially on my mind for quite a few days and you're in my thoughts and prayers right now. And in the midst of all the difficulties that she described in her reply to me, she had written this, Kate, I'm not very happy, but I am concentrating on putting down despair and picking up hope each morning. So I prayed for her again. I wrote back to her and asked if I could borrow her phrase for today. I'm concentrating on putting down despair and putting, picking up hope each morning. Romans 8:24 and 25 says this. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, I love Romans 8, because it literally contains so many of my favorite uh, Bible verses. Verses that were incredibly important to me just after I became a Christian um, when I was 18 a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. A little bit longer than a couple of years. Um, And some of these verses were so important that I learned them off by heart. And if you take time to memorize some of these, you'll find you only ever need to reach this far when you need them. And trust me, you will need some of these. So this is the summit, and because it's the summit, You're going to revisit some themes you've already encountered, but this time from a slightly different perspective. The Greek word for hope that's used here in Romans 8 is the word elpis. And it's important to understand what it is and what it is not. It isn't a kind of stoic hope that's based on a stiff upper lip, it isn't a wishful hope based on some vague desire or aspiration. It's definitely not an uncertain hope that's based on what may or may not happen in some unknown future. This hope is a confident expectation. It has cosmic and eternal implications. Hebrews 619 describes it as an anchor for the soul. Because this hope is attached to something that is immovable, that is sure and steadfast. We can turn to this hope and count on it. Romans 5.5 5 says, this hope does not disappoint us. Peace hope. It's particularly important in a season when there is so much to feel hopeless, discouraged, and disappointed about in here and out there. We're witnessing tensions and challenges in our communities, nationally, globally, like never before. Not long ago, I was interviewed by a Christian magazine prior to speaking at a conference in Europe. And one of the questions I was asked was this. What do you think the role of the church should be amid global challenges, dwindling congregations, and declining numbers? members? Not a lot of hope there. <laughs> so the first thing I did was to point out that although we in Europe might feel a bit depressed about the church from time to time, it isn't actually in decline. In some parts of the world, it's growing at pace and in the global south, it's exploding, literally. And I thought I'd also make the point that throughout history, the church has faced an eye-watering array of trials and challenges ranging from near extinction, persecution, poverty, exile, refugee crisis, war, climate disasters, political oppression, and more. And in the midst of it all, the church's role and fundamental mission has never changed. We are still called to become disciples of Jesus and to make disciples for Jesus. We're still called to be salt and light. Yeah. And historically, we've done this best when we've practiced exactly what my coach is doing. To put down despair and pick up hope every morning. Now whenever I speak to a group of Christians anywhere in the world, I know there were always people in the room who were wrestling with feelings of discouragement. The dictionary defines discouragement as a feeling of despair in the face of obstacles, a state of distress, a loss of uh, a sense of enthusiasm, drive or courage. And some in the room are discouraged over their children, their marriage, their health, their ministry, their work, their achievements, their churches. And even when things are going well, some are feeling challenged and others are feeling deflated and disappointed about their finances, politics, the economy, the world, or unanswered prayer. Perhaps you hoped that the government, business leaders, or authority figures would do the right thing by the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalised, the environment, the peace efforts in the Middle East, Ukraine, DRC, South Sudan. Maybe you hoped people would act more like a climate emergency was an emergency. Maybe you thought racism was over after George Floyd. Or that Christians would always be healthy, wealthy, and protected if they're doing God's work. I received news this past week of a tragic accident in East Africa. Christian workers who died in a, in a car accident, 11 died. Five are still in hospital. I can't tell you where it is for security reasons, but five are still in hospital. Um, two are critical. Pray for them. God knows who they are. If we put our hope in governments, multinationals, and celebrities, we will be disappointed. If we put our hope in family and friends, they will sometimes let us down. If we place our hope in our job or career or even in our health, those may not last. As for money and material things, all it takes is a cost of living crisis for that to evaporate if we are not anchored in Elpi's hope as Christians, fortified in that hope, life will give us reasons to lose hope. And it's not as if hopelessness is unique to us or the age that we live in. Do you remember David, the Old Testament king? who famously laments not once but four times in Psalms 42 and 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And Romans 8:19 to 20 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation, for the children of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration. And you know that word frustration is similar to our modern idea of disappointment. You get this sense of unfulfilled desires or expectations. And it's not hard to see why creation would be so disappointed right now. In Isaiah 5:4, the Bible suggests that even God knows these feelings of emptiness and grief in relation to his own people. In the Song of the Vineyard, he says this, What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Have you ever felt as if your best efforts only seemed to yield bad grapes? I've certainly had moments like that. Many of the Psalms are a recognition that challenging and unruly feelings are a normal part of everyone's journey through life. But in today's world, we can forget that having feelings is not the same as our feelings having us. We all need to choose to put down despair and pick up hope every morning. And you know, the Christians in Rome were no different. They were considered atheists because they refused to worship the Roman gods everyone else was worshiping. Their allegiance to Jesus was not only creating cultural and religious tensions for them, but it was also costing them socially and financially and economically. And at the point that we meet them in this book, although they're not yet experiencing full-blown persecution, the writing is on the wall already for them. And to top it all, they're a culturally diverse church of Jews and Gentiles, So they had their own internal tensions to deal with. So they needed to put down despair and pick up hope every morning. That's how we fortify our hearts. What I love about what Paul does in Romans 8, which is easily one of the most significant chapters in the New Testament and in the entire Bible, is he shows us very clearly where hope comes from. Firstly, our hope comes from knowing whose we are because of what God has accomplished in the past. It comes from who we are and where we stand with God in our present. And it comes from knowing where we are because of what God has planned for our future. But even at the summit of hope, it's easy to lose sight of all of this if our view is constantly obscured by the bad news we dread rather than the good news we long for. So how do we extract some hope from whose we are, who we are, and where we are? And how do we put down despair and pick up hope every morning from our past, our present, and our future? The truth is, if you want to extract hope from the past, you've got to go back and get it. Because hope from your past reveals whose you are I was born in Ghana West Africa and in the land of my birth there is a language that is known as Adinkra it's a symbolic language it uh, uh, represents particular concepts aphorisms and one of the symbols is the Sankofa sometimes it's represented as a heart as you can see like this, and sometimes it's represented as a bird that's flying forward while looking back with an egg in its beak. And the Sankofa literally means it is not taboo to go back for what you forget, forgot, or left behind. In other words, if you want to achieve your potential moving forward, you've got to reach back and gather the best that your past can teach you. Some cultures see the future in that way. There's a Maori proverb which translates as, I walk backwards into my future with my past in full view. The interesting thing is that is how the Hebrew prophets saw the past and the future. They went through life as if they were sitting on a train facing the direction that they had come from we think the Hebrew prophets were interested in the future always looking that way they were looking back at the past and as they looked back at the past and saw the journey the people of God had already taken with God they were able to interpret what was going to happen in the future that was behind them that they couldn't see that's how that worked And it was clear that their view of the past enabled them to have the insight and the foresight to direct the people of God. To stay hope-filled as Christians, we need to learn to travel through life facing the past, but moving forward into the future. Because there are things we forget. I love the fact that we did communion today, remember me, remember me, look back, remember what Jesus has done, remember who he is to you, because stuff happens, stuff happens around us, it happens because of us, it happens in spite of us, and it happens to us, and a lot of the stuff that happens can leave us feeling confused about whose we are. Is God really for me? Is God really with me? The Christians in Rome had similar issues, and Paul helps them by pointing them to the past first. Romans 8, 1 to 11, I'm just going to read a couple of those verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of it, the spirit that lives in you. Now, obviously, that, that passage starts with a therefore. So therefore means what's about to come is connected to something that's already happened. And you can see what's already happened when you go back into chapter 7. And you've probably touched on this a little bit already. But chapter 7, particularly verses 18 to 24, Paul complains. He says, For the desire, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. This I keep doing. And then he says, verse 24, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Then he answers his own question. (laughs) And the answer he gives is the message of hope. It's hope for anyone who feels trapped in cycles of failure. The kind of cycles that Romans 7 describes. And his message is clear, there is now no condemnation. Regardless of the sin count, there is now no condemnation. Regardless of what the devil whispers in your ear, there is now no condemnation. Regardless of your greatest fear, there is now no condemnation. And it doesn't mean there are no consequences. Don't get me wrong there. But what it means is that whatever you've done, wherever you've been, once you make that commitment to Jesus, it's no longer held against you. You don't have to keep checking in with God. God, am I forgiven? God, am I forgiven? God, am I forgiven? You don't have to do that. Because Romans 8, 3 says, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God has nailed your sin and mine to the cross. I think that deserves a hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Justice is done. And God has got you. There's also another reason we need to keep looking back to the past. Because we've not only been freed from the penalty of sin, we've been freed from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit is now living in us. Helping us to grow to become the best versions of ourselves we could possibly be. No more can't. I can't do this. I can't. can't. The Spirit is is in us to turn our can'ts into, I I can. (laughs) Because now it doesn't just depend upon me. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in me, is working in me and helping me to become the person that God wants me to be. It's only as we face who we were in the past and allow the spirit to metamorphose, transform us, that we become who we need to be for the future every now and again you need to take a look back and say my goodness was I like that was that me praise God and hallelujah that means I can continue to make progress in him we're no longer trying to be good off our own backs or in our own strength the spirit is at work in us we can finally jump off the merry-go-round of failure frustration and fear It's your past commitment to Jesus that secures whose you are. So if you haven't made that commitment yet, make it today. Because it's the only thing that enables you to have that sense of security. From the summit of hope, we can see that God's past activity in our lives has led to our justification and is the source of our transformation. This gives us hope because it means God's got us. We know whose we are. No one and nothing can take that away from us. I think that deserves an amen. amen. Hallelujah. But you can also extract hope from your present because your present reveals who you are. We aren't simply in Christ. We also belong to God's household. Paul told the believers in Rome that the Holy Spirit had secured their place and ours in God's household. But instead of belonging there like slaves, as they would have expected, given the structure of Roman society, Paul said, you belong there not as slaves, but as children. God has one eternal son, but by grace, you and I are included in God's adopted as God's adopted children, Amen. Romans eight fourteen just uh, to seventeen, a couple of verses from there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies about our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So Paul attempts to explain all of that stuff. Andrew does this really well in his book, so I don't want to go too much into that. He attempts to explain all of this stuff using language and concepts that they would have understood within uh, Roman life. But what I do want to say is this, in a world where everyone is trying to figure out who they are and where they belong, if you want to be in God's household, you're in. (laughs) You're in. A search for identity can be a great source of freedom and release, but it can also be a source of confusion and frustration. If you're a child of God, there's no, you don't look right or dress right or sound right. There's no, we don't rate you or value you or respect you. All identity questions are settled in God's household. The message of Romans 8 is clear. If you are in Christ, you are family. I'm going to spare you my singing. I feel like singing, but I'm going to spare it because that will just end this thing right now. Okay? You are family, you're included even if you don't have it all together and even if you don't have it all figured out. Your identity is settled and secure. You are now whoever God says you are. Whoever God says you are. And because you are whoever God says you are, you can cry like Jesus cried, Abba Father. God is your Abba your papa, your daddy, whatever term of endearment you like to use. Trying to establish whose we are is settled by looking back. The past tells us we're justified. All these big words just means whose you are. <laughs> okay. The past tells us where the source of our, our transformation comes from. Trying to establish who we are is settled by our adoption. It doesn't depend on what we look like, what we do, how accepted or rejected we feel, or how others treat us. As adopted members of God's household, He's our Abba. And we can be secure in the knowledge of who we are. Last thing I wanna say. From the summit of hope, we can see something about our future. It's hope from your future that reveals where you are. Now, I love science fiction. Whenever I get a chance, I read a lot of novels. At the moment, I'm really into Afrofuturism. But I know that most novels, regardless of the genre, follow a pattern. And that nine times out of ten, the main protagonist or the main character is going to make it through. Or at least through to the end of book one, if not through to the end of the series. So... Often the reason that we read a book is to find out what kind of trouble they're gonna get into and out of along the way. Romans eight thirty says this, those he predestined, he also called those he called, he also justified those he justified, he also glorified. It is in the past tense. In other words, although we haven't got there yet, we already know the end of our story. Because Jesus holds the future, Romans 8.30 gives us a sneak preview, so we already know how this ends. But we also know, because Romans 8 tells us, that the rest of the story may not be quite as straightforward as we would like it to be. And Romans 8 talks about trouble and hardships and angels and demons, It talks about um, structures and systems, powers. It talks about height and depth. It talks about all the things that we might bump into and have to wrestle with along the way. We may know the end, but we have a journey to make. And even creation, we're told, waits in eager expectation for us to complete it. Now the thing I love in Romans 8 is it says that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The darkness that some of us experience, the struggles that we go to, it's not the darkness of the, of the tomb. Guys, it's not because it's the end. Romans 8, tells us it's the darkness of the womb. Is the darkness of the womb, the pains of childbirth. It's a tight, constricted, dark place, but it's not the end. Life comes out of here. Romans 8.25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So make sure that your waiting is active, not passive, and that your hope is engaged, not Indifferent. If you hope for direction, you seek guidance, yeah? If we hope for revival, we pray, yeah? If we hope for transformation, we become transformative, yeah? The hope that we have is a hope that is active. So if you're hoping for something, don't just sit there, do something about it. down despair pick up hope the past reminds us of whose we are the present reminds us of who we are the future which is in god's hands has already been written tells us where we are and with hope like this we are undefeatable and unstoppable and we can make a difference regardless of the obstacles regardless of the challenges that we face Paul puts it like this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. So tell your neighbor, I don't know how you feel today, but you need to know that you are more than a conqueror. Tell them. I know some of us don't like to talk in church, kind of. And guess what? As long as you keep all these things in view. You are still here on the summit of hope. Amen. So God, we thank you for taking us up this steep incline. We thank you for giving us the energy and the grace and the strength to get there. We thank you for showing us where our hope comes from. We thank you for the promise that you will help us. As we put down despair, put it down and we pick up. Hope from our past, our present, and our future. And God, we say we trust you because you've gone ahead. You see it all. You know it all. And you hold us. You've got us. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Stay hopeful. Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. If this message has spoken to you today in some way, we would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at thec3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to thec3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.